beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I speak to Frank. It feels as if Frank kind of snuck into my life. I'm not sure when I got to know him, but I was suddenly aware of his quiet and serious presence. Over time, the quietness has slowly been changed and his presence was felt more clearly. Frank is one of those quiet people who gets things done. I have seen that in action and really appreciate this side of him. What intrigued me right from the start was that he refers to himself as a Christ follower and not as a Christian. I knew there and then that meet me in the field needs to hear about his path. It took me a while before I felt comfortable enough to ask him to come and talk to us. But I'm very happy that he agreed and excited to share his journey with you. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Sit back and enjoy. Good afternoon, Frank. How are you doing? Wow, doing well, thank you. Good. I'm I'm very um, glad to hear that. Very glad to be here and to be able to share some of my life experiences and growth. I am very happy to have have you here. Mm. And isn't it a beautiful day to have a chat like this? Absolutely. Mm. I was a real housewife today. I looked at the weather and said, I need to do washing. (laughs) And I went out early to feel the washing's not dry yet. And he said, sun's going to set soon, so I don't know what to do. A a, a house versus conundrum. It sounds like you're very much in the same boat because I also did the laundry this morning. (laughs) Okay. And I also hung it outside, and it's also not totally dry. Oh. <laughs> so the dryer is going to uh, do some. Work oh, you out. have that, do you? Privilege in the, com- in the complex. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, we don't have that. So here we are at mm-hmm. Meet Me in the Field, and thank you very much. And I'm glad I remembered to give you your little oh, yes. thank you gift. I've, I constantly forget to give it to people. Oh. I asked you because the way I look at it, you have an. I don't know whether I want to call it interesting mm. but it's it's for me slightly off-center take on spirituality mm. and why do I say that I don't know what I pick up from you is a deeply committed person mm. to, to your sense of spirituality but you're also very committed to your sense of spirituality mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Let's start at the beginning. Where, where did your, your spirituality form? Okay. Where were you introduced to it? Yeah, thank you very much, Freddie, for your perspective. And yeah, I think you have an accurate uh, perspective. So actually, my uh, spirituality started from when I can remember. Um, my mom was uh, involved in, in Christian work, and my grandmother was involved in Christian work. And so when I went to boarding school in grade one, first grade, Ooh. Uh, into an English school and without a word of English. Oh, my word. So um, my first experiences of, of going to church were not very positive was I was put into a a certain congregation and 
from the hostel we were always told, okay, you're going to that congregation, you're going to that church, you're going to that church. And then they would ask me, which church are you going to? I said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And they said, okay, go to this one. And on one occasion, I uh, walked into the church and they said, no, 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 all the kids go that way. Okay, follow the kids. Next thing I find myself standing on the stage, they had a concert. <laughs> I'd never practiced, never even been to that church. Oh my God. And there I'm standing and I'm looking at all the other kids. Okay, now they've got to perform and I'm just looking to try and do something. Oh my word. Embarrassment. That's trauma. <laughs> I hope you've dealt with that in trauma counseling in some way or oh, another. No. Um, but anyway, so my, my first experiences of church were not always very positive. But as I grew and um, adolescent, and then I started going to the congregation that I was supposed to go to, that my parents said I should go to. And um, there I started forming a spirituality. And uh, the minister at that church was very gracious and um, working with the young people and... Um, at one point I said, but I like this Christianity thing. It, it seems to be working. And, uh, but I hadn't made it my own yet. Okay. And, uh, and I started going to another uh, church at one stage. All through high school, primary school, I was quite isolated and um, very withdrawn. Um, because I'm an introvert. Yeah. Sometimes people don't experience me as an introvert, but I am. So. At the dormitories on Sundays at the hostel in high school, kids would go to the different churches. And um, the one particular day, I can remember, I think it was in 72, and I think it was in July, I was feeling very lonely, particularly lonely in the dormitories. And um, I was walking down this corridor. My feet were echoing in the corridor, and that loneliness... Said, okay, let me go and see where my friends are. You know, go to their dormitory and uh, four in a dormitory. Open the door, empty. Oh my god! And I said, oh, okay. They've probably gone to church. And um, at that point, I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And um, the guitar was lying on the bed, and so I started learning the guitar from from a book that was also lying there. Um, and yeah, my, from there my life started changing. I had a very typical... How old were you now about? That's about 17. Okay. Yeah, I was about 17. And um, so my, my typical hostel language started changing to be more kosher, more, more pure and um, cleaner. And I, I used to have a terrible temper. I can't see that. <laughs> I definitely can't see you as somebody with terrible I temper. I had a terrible temper. I, one guy made me angry and he talked about something and he said, Oh, what radio is that? Oh, I, can't, I can't think of it. Beautiful little cassette radio, not a cassette player, but a radio with a leather covering that my father had given me. I take my dagger, cut, 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 and I break that radio, I throw it out the window just because he said, Oh, that's a stupid radio. Oh, my word. And uh, another time somebody said something to me and I took the same dagger and I threw it at them. Fortunately, I didn't hit them. So that was the temper I had. Good um, grief. Another time somebody said, uh, look at that picture you're drawing. What is that? I'm trying to draw a leopard. Ah, 
take that book and I tear up all my drawings. Oh my word. So that was a temper I had. And hmm. okay, that took a while, maybe three, four, four months um, for that to go. However, I think that anger, because of what I'd experienced, turned inward. So there wasn't a model to me. How do I deal with my emotions? So yeah. my, my father was an alcoholic and my mother died when I was about almost five years old. Mm. So I lost her and I had a stepmom that was very critical and domineering. So all of that anger and that came out in the temper, I now turned inward. And um, so mm. in that sense, my spirituality was good but it was heading in the wrong direction because I was thought to understand, I was told to understand you don't get angry. Yes. So if you don't get angry then you must suppress that anger and suppressed anger becomes depression and uh, yes. so that was what happened to me. I started getting depressed. Okay. And so that lasted throughout my high school and then I went to a teacher's training college. I was there for three and a bit years okay. and I quit. Because After three and a bit years, in your final year basically? Basically my final year oh my I quit. God, okay, um, right. we, had arm, we had military subscription. Yeah. So um, when I left high school, um, I could have made a choice to go for one year and do camps or for 18 months and get a bonus, no camps, yeah. or two years and a bon bigger bonus and no camps. But my father got a letter from the teacher's training college to say I'm accepted. And uh, he said, no way, you're not going to do military service, you're going to study. Okay. And Did you want to become a teacher? Or was that something that that's kind something, of... Um, uh, you know, what, teachers interviewing, recruiting, yeah. and what would I like? Oh, okay, that'll be okay. Actually, I did want to become a teacher, okay. but never thought I really could. Okay. So, according to my father, or to try and please my father, because that was another thing I felt I had to perform. Um, so, that was also something that came through my spirituality or my religiosity. Okay. I'd rather call it religiosity because that's what it was, yep. um, was to perform. Cool. So you just need to be a good guy, a uh, good Christian, don't swear, don't get angry, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this, do this, do that, and then you're a, yeah. a good spiritual Christian. Um, so to please my father, um, who was not a Christian. You're your father and your mother, so you have to do what your father says. Yeah, basically to try and impress, try and gain his love. Um, um, he and my brother, who was 12 years older than me, had a much more friendlier uh, relationship and they were quite similar. They had the same things. And I was more withdrawn and I was more sensitive and I spoke less and I didn't do the adventurous things that they did. and. I was 12 years younger than my brother, so we weren't at the same yeah. place. Um, distant, distant family. <laughs> um, in hindsight, I mean, at that stage as a kid, I didn't know it was totally dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, alcoholic father, codependent mother, mm -hmm. codependent stepmother, oh controlling, uh, all those, you know, all those codependent things. Yeah. That, um, and, and then throw in the mix of religiosity. Yeah. <laughs> 
and um, so after my um, during my uh, during my teachers training college they changed the subscription to two years compulsory and camps after okay. very frustrated so when I when I quit college then I went to military and I wanted to go to become a pilot but because of the time I was away my subscription changed and they took me to some administration thing and I said no ways I don't want to do that and eventually I volunteered for the parabets okay uh, so uh, but in that time my spirituality was still growing okay and I was living a different life to some of the other guys and I wasn't always part of what the other guys were saying but of course there were still things that I was doing and thinking and that were not right um, do you feel the odd one out many times yeah, yeah many times um, during especially during military service yeah. because the guys that I w was subscribed with that, that were with me were often about two or three or four years younger than me oh, yes. because I had gone to teachers training yeah. college first mm. so uh, I didn't feel accepted by them and often I was isolated. I was like, didn't your isolation any, any good? Nothing. It just perpetuated that. It perpetuated that. I think when the shift started was after I got married. got married in 82 and uh, we were at a particular congregation and we started getting tired of the typical almost felt like a club um, let's go to church so that we can all feel that we're doing the right thing and uh, let's listen to the to the message that the pastor or the minister uh, shares and um, let's get out as soon as possible so that we can get to the braai and get to the food and get to do our other stuff and talk about other people in church not saying good things about the other people in church that was my feeling always as well yeah. Yeah. and um, and so we started getting tired of that yeah. and um, we we had a sense that we don't want to continue playing religion okay because that is what we were busy doing okay and that's what we sensed and um, and I think they're a deeper change in our uh, viewpoints. Okay. And Sorry to interrupt you. Were you in the army when you met her? I was discharged from the army in 1980, the middle of 80 or the middle of 81. Okay. And I met her. I met her soon after. Okay. That. Yeah, I met her soon after that. So it was probably 80 and I met her in 81. We got married in 82. Okay. Um, yeah, so my, my spiritual growth was there during the military service. But after we had got married and we had spent a few years together, we started making this shift. And so we start, want to stop playing religion. Yeah. And, um, and uh, we felt at one stage, um, through a lot of confirmation, that we should be going full-time into ministry. Okay. And um, I don't... At that stage, we said, yeah, um, we want to be missionaries. But in the meantime, I have almost come to detest the word missionary um, because it, it gives a view, a certain, puts people in a certain box. And if you're called a missionary, then there are certain, certain behaviors that you need to adhere to. You need to be the cream of the crop and uh, you mustn't be able to be broken. 
and uh, you must sin a lot less than other people um, and that is why in the meantime I mean at that point I said yes that's a good thing but in the meantime I've come to realize people too easily especially in the church put you into the missionary box yeah. and um, and I very intentionally have climbed out of that box because when you said both your mother and your grandmother were in service that that's Im- immediately the thought that came that came to mind yeah so that whenever I hear somebody in service of the church of God then that that's the picture that I have and that's a box that I have in my head yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so re- religiosity was the foundation of you and your wife's meeting and yeah. a very strong foundation of your relationship right from mm. the start. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. So we both professed to be Christians. Cool. Um, and it was from that foundation that we said we want to be in a relationship okay. as believers. Good. Um, right. That stage I would say Christian. At this stage, I would say Christ follower. Yes. Uh, because we're going to get to that, definitely. We're going to get to that point as well. Um, so that was our foundation. Uh, actually, at one point, she's very extrovert. Um, I'm a lot in- more introvert. And at the beginning of our marriage, I was actually a social. Totally, totally a social because of my upbringing and because of my background. And if I look back now, because of shame. And um, I'll share this with you. It's so, so my wife invites a group of people over to our, our apartment. We're going to have, we're going to visit. We're going to have dinner together, um, and then we'd be sitting at the bench, and they will talk and talk and talk. My wife is an extrovert, <laughs> and talk, 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 and uh, eventually she says, "So, so, what do you think?" I wonder, uh, I, I'll go and get that. I'll, I'll go, I'm going to get something. And I'll go out the room. I come back with a nail clipper. And I start clipping my nails <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> so that is how asocial yeah. I was. Um, totally introvert. Totally unable to say what I feel, what I think even. Um, and that is what carried through into my marriage, okay. uh, into further into my marriage. And of course, that carried over to my spirituality because I couldn't identify my feelings. And because I couldn't identify them, I couldn't express them. And I couldn't express them to God either. Okay. And um, so I'm not quite sure how I got to that point, but I was very asocial. Thought. So if you couldn't feel the love, mm. was it was it more an intellectual process for you? Been loving, um, loving my loving, wife, loving for God. Oh, um, loving God. Yeah. I think it was probably very intellectual, and at other times very, very deeply spiritual. In other words, I did feel things and I did experience things. Um, you just couldn't name them necessarily. Thinking back, um, definitely had emotions, and but I just couldn't say them. Yeah. So my wife asked me after she had spilled her heart and said how she felt about something, she would say, so what do you feel? Uh, <laughs> Oops, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> um, uh, I 
so sad? Yeah. What? What do you feel about what I said? Um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but at least tell me what do you think? I said, um, you know, the, the car's running out of petrol. We need to put in petrol tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning. <laughs> totally the wrong answer. <laughs> oh, I hear the buzzer going up. Wrong answer. You are the weakest link. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, is, that is where um, I was emotionally okay. uh, and spiritually. And um, of course, it grew a lot from there. And uh, so I think getting back into, um, we felt a calling to go into ministry. And um, knowing that there are certain things that we should be looking at. And we went for counseling before we, uh, we went into ministry. And we eventually landed abroad. And um, it's while we were abroad that some real deeper issues started being revealed okay. and exposed. Were you missionaries? <laughs> what, actually, what, what were you? <laughs> actually, actually, we were not missionaries. Okay. Because the country that we were going to, you're not allowed to be a missionary. Okay. So, so um, you didn't have to fit into that box. I didn't have to fit. And into did you feel? Yes. Did you feel that you weren't fitting into the box? Um, actually, or did you kind of in the back of your mind think, "But I'm a missionary"? No, no. no. <laughs> in the back of our mind, we weren't missionaries. Oh, cool. Um, we were going. We went to that country because we wanted to offer a service. Okay. And uh, we were teaching English. Okay. And that was our service to those people that we were ministering to okay, and cool. our main focus was to love those people okay we signed a contract to say that we would not participate in any religious activities and that actually suited us okay um, because we we don't want to be religious and so our our focus was to create relationships develop relationships Okay. And if whoever we are forming that relationship with, whether it be with the students or with other people, we want them to see but there's something different in us. Yeah. That we are loving them and they are not just a number on a register. Okay. So how does Frank, the introvert, slot into a new country? Very difficult. Is it? So so it was you, it you, was, you felt that the challenge? It was super difficult. Okay, and your wife was she comfortable? Her this normal. Well, no, it was also difficult for okay. her. It was a lot easier for her, because what we had to do is language studies, because you got to buy things and yeah, you got yeah. to walk in the streets and you got yes. to speak to people, and she's a lot quicker because she's more vocal and okay. she loves to communicate even if it's wrong, but she will communicate. Okay. And me being the introvert, I don't want to make mistakes, and uh, so mm. I I speak a lot less. So. That was a big stress. Yeah. Um, and then going to a country, not able to speak the language, mm. not be able to read the signs, um, walking into a shop and you don't know how to buy sugar. Um, <laughs> what the hell are you buying? Yeah, yeah the labels are all different. Yeah. The packages is different. Um, so it was very, very challenging. Mm. And um, um, so those brought the stresses. Um, and. The statistics say that when you enter a country or, uh, that is so different to your own country, where you cannot express your faith uh, freely, 
the stresses that you experience in that country can be two to three times higher than the highest stress you experience in your own country. So you can imagine experiencing those high stresses and that is when the cracks that you had in your own country become gorgeous. Yeah. And, um, and that's when big problems was, were revealed in our relationship. Okay. And that is where we started saying, but we are broken people. No matter what we are doing, no matter how re religious we are trying to be, how spiritual we are trying to be, and how hardworking we are trying to be in the field of spirituality, we are broken. And the thought and the idea of that brokenness was initially very academic, or Salashai cognitive. Yeah. And the further we started going into those issues, into those struggles, more and more we started realizing this we cannot sort by ourselves. God is not going to snap his fingers and take it away for us um, because that is what I did. I prayed often yeah. and said, please take this away from me. Uh, I can't take it. Uh, kill me or take my eyes out or put me, make me deaf or whatever. Yeah. Fortunately, he didn't answer those prayers. <laughs> So be careful what you pray for. <laughs> very careful what you pray for. But he didn't answer those prayers. And I'm very grateful that he did not. Because he knew that I needed to go through a process. He knew my wife needed to go through a process. He knew that we as a couple need to go through a process of healing. Did you feel abandoned? You know, in a strange country, in alone, you don't have your support system, your normal friends, your all that, yeah. that those type of things, and God's not doing for you what you would like Him to do. And I think that just contributed to the stress and to the isolation, the feeling of isolation and loneliness. Yeah. Um, oh, sounds awful. So, because you're there as a spiritual worker. And there are other foreigners also there as spiritual workers. How can I go to them and say, I've got this massive problem? Um, yeah. Because if I've got this massive problem, how can I be there? What am I doing there? You know, I must get back to my own home, home country. So there was a lot of loneliness, isolation. As and an individual. Judgment as well. Judgment of self and fear of judgment. Yeah. Fear of, that's probably more so a fear of judgment than they yeah, may than really actual, have, yeah. that may really have been there. False evidence appearing real. Fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was a very, very tough time. And um, we were there for uh, nine years. Oh, wow. It's a long time. And, um, and the escalation or the revelation or the working at these issues of ours. Um, basically started in abroad and we carried that over when we came back to uh, South Africa and we are still continuing to work at those things. Um, so in the meantime, my thought or my spirituality has really moved from religiosity to relationship and particularly a relationship of love. Okay. And, um, and it sounds very quick. Um, <laughs> my, my journey of my spiritual journey really started in about 1972. And we are now in 
2018 yeah. and I'm still in the journey I'm still changing and I'm still learning some very serious things yeah. uh, or fun things sometimes learning to be joyful for example yes um, because of our issues and our problems there was just no chance that I could experience joy yeah. and because I was having issues I said how can God love me if God cannot love me I cannot love myself nobody else can love me so those are the type of things that had to be sorted in the sense that it had to sink to my heart and not just be a cognitive mm. uh, experience or a belief God loves me God cares for me yes I know that but do I really believe it deep in my heart? Yeah. Um, so it had to move from the cognitive mind down into my heart. The longest, the longest road we all travel is those 30 centimeters or however long that, yeah. that is. But a thought now came to my mind is, I've heard of, obviously a lot, a year about spiritual journeys because mm. that's what we do here. But I don't know of a spiritual destination So what, I, I, yeah, okay, go ahead. So what I'm, what my thought process is, is aren't we always journeying? Yes. Do we ever reach and say, now I have reached the pinnacle of, I can now sit and be spiritual? I will always be on the journey until I breathe my last breath. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, the journey never ends in this lifetime. Cool. Um, so is there a destination? Yes, I do believe there is a destination. And for me, that destination is a perfect, intimate relationship, love relationship with God. Okay. With others, with myself, and total freedom. Ah. So that's the destination that my spirituality, I'd like my spirituality to move towards. So uh, we are putting many things in place. We are studying books. We are journaling, we are talking, we are doing counseling with the specific goal of being in a loving union with God, with myself, with other people. And the most difficult is with my wife, to be in loving union with my wife, because she knows all my crap, I know all her crap, yeah. and we can easily trigger each other. Uh, so that is what we are busy working through at the moment. Oh, I feel as if I'm going to be counselling this question. But <laughs> I, I'm just asking because I find it interesting. What I'm hearing you doing is you're trying to find the emotion, the love, through a cognitive process. So what are you doing emotionally? Where is the emotional journey at this okay. stage for you? The emotional journey is becoming aware of my emotions okay and so that was one of the things that one of my counselors told me he said you don't feel or you do feel but you don't know you feel yeah and he gave me he gave me a, a tool and he said okay I want you to record at least one event a week and then go to two and then go as, to ma as many as possible and to say during that event what was a feeling that I experienced name them give them a percentage what were the automatic thoughts 
that I had because of those. Okay. What was my immediate res uh, reaction? And what would be the realistic response? Okay. And then can I redo it? In other words, once I've gone through the process, I could identify feelings. I could see what my reaction was. What would be the re appropriate response? And can I redo it? Um, so if it was a situation with my wife, an incident with my wife, I could go back to her and say, can we redo that? And then say, this is what I feel. Take two. <laughs> and this is how I re reacted. Yeah. But I think this would be a better appropriate response. Yeah. And, and then to basically try and redo it. Okay. Of course, we cannot redo everything. So I became very aware of feelings. Okay. And um, during one of um, a recovery weekend that I attended um, in 2017, one counselor there who was at that recovery weekend uh, was counseling me afterwards and my wife. And um, he said, Frank, I see you are very aware of your emotions, but it's all logical. Ah. It's all generated. In, the, in, in my cognitive. Yeah. In other words, if my wife says she's experiencing this and this and this, my logic says that means she must be sad. That means I should be sad as well. Okay. And I say, wow, that really makes me sad. Instead then he of said, actually feeling the sadness. What he said then is, Frank, I want you to feel your feelings. Yeah. If you say you're sad, where do you feel you're sad? Oh, God, I hate that question. <laughs> where do you feel? Do you really feel it? Then don't say you're sad until you feel it. Yeah. So mm. if there's an emotion that you think you have or that you have identified, feel it first before you name it. Um, okay. And how's that working? <sighs> I wish you could see the face. This is, this is when we need a video camera. <laughs> Ooh, uh, no, it's... So it's not an easy... Uh, it's not, it's not easy coming time. naturally. It doesn't come naturally. To think that that was when I was in my late 50s, when that realization came from the logic to the actual feeling. So I'm in my 60s now, and i got to try and unlearn... 50-something years oh, my word, yeah. of not feeling. Yeah. Or feeling, but not knowing I'm feeling. Mm. Feeling, identifying feelings, but not feeling them. So it is a difficult process. Um, I nearly get the sense of it doesn't matter how much progress you do, you're going to make how fast. It's just not going to be fast enough. <laughs> never, it's never fast enough. Especially if you're in a committed relationship. Yeah with somebody um, and is she a very feeling person is she is that can she she is very feeling orientated so she can very easily say i feel this and this and this and this and this makes me sad and sad and sad and then being the the person i am with my background and with my upbringing i would make myself responsible for what she feels ah but very often 
she would share what she does or what I did and then go to what that makes her feel. Um, An I feel conversation. Yeah. And mm. then, so we are w busy working at that because she would often speak about it. You do, I feel. Yeah. And now we are still, still busy working at I feel, I feel, I feel, when, you, da, 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 da. And then I can respond and say, oh, I see you feel this, this, and this, and this. I'm really sorry that um, you felt that way and when I did that. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. It was not mm. right. And then I can also express my feelings. So we are busy working at that journey. <laughs> um, One of the biggest days of my life came when my, he was in my boyfriend, laughed at me when I said something. Mm. And he made me feel really stupid. And feeling stupid makes me feel inadequate and it made me feel very sad. And it made me feel very angry at him. Mm -hmm. And I called my sponsor. And I blah, 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 cried over the phone. And his response was, so he made you feel that, did he? <laughs> I said, yes. I think you're choosing to feel that way. Mm. Can you maybe choose another feeling? Mm. And from that day, I'm so aware of somebody can't make you feel a certain way. They can trigger a feeling, but I have the choice whether I'm going to engage with that feeling mm. or not. Or hang on to that feeling, rather. It, it, I think it's healthy to engage with the feeling, mm. feel the feeling, but I don't have to hang on to it. Yeah. I can let it go and, and, and choose another response mm. to, to that situation. And that was for me a very, very powerful part of my journey. Mm -hmm. I think what was important for what has become important for me is is to identify that feeling, to feel the feeling, and then to say, what generated that feeling? It wasn't the other person. Whatever they said, they actually didn't generate that feeling. Mm. That feeling was generated by something yeah. else. And more often than not, that feeling that I am experiencing, whether it be shame or whatever, inadequacy, stupidity, which I felt very often, it is often generated by a wound. In other words, somewhere yeah. in my life I had experienced a wound that says when that is said to you, when this is reflected to you, that is how you, that yeah. is what you are. And that is how you should be yeah. feeling. And then that feeling is generated. So it's an action, not the other, mm. something else that generates yeah. that feeling. How much inner child work have you done? Done quite a bit of inner child work. Okay. Yeah, so I, I've spoken to a number of counselors, I'm such and, and uh, we've been able to identify um, at which stages my child, I, I's little child, was abandoned or uh, f marginalized, um, set aside, uh, and so forth. So we've gone. Yeah. We've done quite a bit of that work. Um, and most of your counselling work. Is that in a spiritual context? If you understand what I'm, mm -hmm. what, what I'm trying to say, you, what am I saying? Because you get religious counselors, mm -hmm. and you don't identify yourself necessarily as religious, though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I hear what you are saying. Um, many of my the counselors that I've gone to have been spiritual people. Okay. They've been people of faith and that share the same faith as what I have. Okay. And um, I'm very grateful, except for one counsellor, 
that um, that express the same faith as what I did, but I'm, I'm, I doubt whether he really does. Um, I'll talk about him just now. So most of them are spiritual with the same beliefs as, as I have, and they are non-judgmental, and they are uh, real counselors, and they recognize the psyche, they recognize the spirituality, and they recognize that both of them are part of my holistic being. Yeah. Physical, emotional, psychological. I'm a whole being, a holistic being. Yeah. And that is what I've experienced from most of the counselors that I've been to that have been spiritual counselors. Now that one that I feel was not quite, was spiritual but not at the same place as what I was is quite early on in our marriage, we went to this counselor for marriage counseling, told him our story, and eventually he said, oh, you two should not, never have got married. You like a square hole with a round peg. And uh, just said, how can this guy say that? He's supposed to help us stay together and be married and happily and engaged with each other and relating to each other. I had a client yesterday who told me exactly the same situation. Yeah, so and I... I Anyway, so we weren't on the same page, yeah. and we didn't go back to him, by the way. Oh, don't blame you. <laughs> so, Frank, let's wrap up by how do you practice your spirituality today? Um, it's very intentional, and my spirituality is quite different to what, I, as I said to a number of years ago, um, a number of years ago, I would have very easily identified myself as a Christian, but now I identify myself as a Christ follower. Yes. Um, in the Bible, Christians are only mentioned twice. In that whole thick book. In, in that whole thick, <laughs> thick book. Um, Amazing. And, but what was mentioned a lot more, especially in the New Testament, and that's where our, our faith comes from, is that the, the Christians which were not known as Christians, were rather known as people of the way. Okay. And the people of the way of Christ. Okay. And that is why they became Christians, because they were people of the way of Christ. Okay. So I identify myself now more as a person of the way of Christ. Cool. And um, His way is love. Uh, so when very religious and very lawful people came and asked, Jesus. So what is the greatest commandment? I mean, that is in the whole Bible. What is the greatest commandment? Because they had all these laws yeah. that they adhere to and they wanted everybody to adhere to. And Jesus said, the most important, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second one, which is equal to that, love your neighbor. As yourself so the whole Bible I believe can be summed up by that one commandment cool be in loving relationship was it Richard John Smith that sang the song is love thy neighbor like love yourself oh Maybe love I sound thy so neighbor good. love you I remember I think we had the record as a child <laughs> and I knew every word to do that song and I loved mm. it that's a, such a catchy tune as well and so, how do you practice that so that is what I'm trying to do. Um, so we are following um, a, a certain program 
which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Okay. And um, what it is doing is, or what the author says, is that we cannot grow spiritually more than what we are emotionally mature. Ah. So my spiritual journey at the moment is to become emotionally mature. Okay. So that I can become spiritually mature. And spiritually matures means I can love well. So I want to become emotionally mature so that I can love well. Oh, cool. So I do daily um, meditations. I read scripture. I pray. And I try to engage with people, not in a religious way, but in a relational way. And if I can express love in some way to that person and acceptance and grace, I'd prefer to do that. Much rather than saying, you should have done this or you should have done that or you know you shouldn't have done this that way. So that is my journey at the moment. Awesome. And the greatest challenge is doing that with my wife, um, as I said before. Yeah. But that is the challenge, and that is what both of us are busy working towards, is loving each other well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank I love so this. This is you. awesome. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. I will. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you for having me, Freddie. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. I am so happy that Frank agreed to talk to us. I understand him as a person so much better now and feel much closer to him. I respect his commitment to his sense of spirituality and am beyond grateful that he came to share the love with us today. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or Freddy van Rensburg, or on Twitter at, at RensburgFreddy, or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. If you feel you have a spiritual journey to share with us, please contact me. I would love to hear your story. I'm currently working on a new idea and I'm looking for someone who has taken the Hajj or any other significant physical spiritual journey to come and talk to us. If you have done something like that and are willing to share your experience with us, I shall greatly appreciate it and I'm sure the other Meet Me in the Field listeners will too. I want to thank Frank for his time and for sharing his views with Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.